Okay. <clears throat> Fuck, I'm so bad at this. Oh, God. <clears throat> Welcome to Drunk Duck Cinema Club. I'm your host, Michael Puglisi. And I'm your host, Ali Darling. Uh, we are not at the pond this week uh, due to uh, the Armageddon that has befallen the universe. Um, but this week's movie uh, is not about that, and it is called Sightseers. <laughs> Uh, I didn't come up with my own taglines for this movie because the movie itself actually has six banging taglines that I just want to read. What? Uh, there's a, six official taglines for this movie that are all amazing. So the first wow. one is Sightseers, Evil Has a Knitted Jumper. <laughs> Sightseers, Death Has a Ginger Beard. <laughs> Sightseers, Fear Has a Wet Nose. Aww. Sightseers, killers have never been so average. Mm. Sightseers, killers have never been this close knit. Uh huh. Mm. Another knitting one. Okay. Oh no. And sightseers, if the caravans are rocking, don't come (laughs) knocking. So okay, pretty good. Yeah, those they're all honestly just just really lined up with the theme of this movie, which is uh. Kind of mediocre, depressing, I guess. Maybe it's like it's a it's a black comedy. I will yeah. put it that way. It's and it's, it's not. It's British definitely not a feel comedy. good. Yeah, it's a very dry movie, and it's kind of it's it's all about like these quirky, mundane serial killers. That's kind of like the joke. Yeah, it's. Like, it's- it's very charming, but it's also very grotesque, and it's it's similar to a lot of very popular kind of TV shows where you know the characters are realistic, and due to that, they're not they're not good people, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, yes, they're definitely not good people. They do go around killing folks. Not, yeah, not cool. <laughs> so, they start off seeming like okay people, but uh, things quickly change. Yeah, and I found the main thing that I kind of took away from watching this movie was it's very worst case scenario. Like, nothing that happens is really out of the realm of possibility, but it's always like, what is the absolute worst way I could handle this situation? And that's what they do. You know? Yes. Like, they're just, but- they're, they have no coping mechanisms, the characters. That's a good way of putting it. And they're they're oh so British. Yeah. yeah. At the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there there's not a lot happening besides, I guess, yeah, the way you put it. They go this couple goes from site to site and makes some poor decisions. And yeah. just make bad choices. And, and and that is it. So we're talking about the movie Sightseers. This is a 2012 British black comedy directed by Ben Wheatley and it's written and stars Alice Lowe and Stephen Oram as Tina and Chris, uh, a couple that goes on a sightseeing tour of UK of the UK in their RV trailer, or as they call it, their caravan. That's a which, common word, actually. Is it? Is that yeah. what people call it? Yeah, it is. The only reason I know that oh. is because it's from Top Gear, so... No, I'm, I'm, I'm the idiot. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I learned something then. So along the way, uh, Tina and Chris start to murder people. This puts a bit of a strain on their relationship, you could say. Yeah, you could say. So 
I find like what becomes very obvious very quickly is they go on this trip and it's it immediately falls apart, but it becomes super obvious right away how much the couple don't know about each other and don't know about life in general. Like they're yeah, definitely so th- they've only been dating for three months at this point. Yeah. And Tina's like been living with her mom this entire time and she's she's 34 years old right yeah so just a little bit about the rest of the the context of the film before we get into just kind of a plot summary but apparently this film was uh came together many years before they made the movie about seven years as a stage act so it kept getting rejected for production because it was too dark so people would read it and they'd be like it's really funny but it's just too dark we cannot like we can't get behind it and they eventually ended up putting it up online and people responded really well to it. And somebody uh, and the director ended up taking it on because of that. So, yeah. So the person who actually decided to give this movie a shot was the Cornetto trilogy director, Edgar Wright, the guy who did Shaun the Dead, Hot, Hot Buzz, Fuzz, The World's End. Yeah. Yeah. So his company was like, OK, yeah, well, you know what? We'll we'll give this. We'll give this movie. like oddball thing a shot. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I found super interesting uh, was that apparently Alice and Steve, so Tina and Chris, actually took the trip that they were gonna they were planning to take in the movie with a cameraman in a caravan and went to each site and uh, not only kind of like you know learned about the locations but also spoke to. The people who ran those locations and told them about the movie uh, that they were going to make there and like made sure they were all on board. So they kind of did like a little trial run of this movie before they made it. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And it, apparently must... they were worried about the places being the butt of the joke because they're like, we're filming a like, you know, stupid horror movie here. We don't want to ruin <laughs> the location. Now, th- this is a little off topic, but I'm going to go ahead and say that those locations look like maybe i'm just not a traveler but they they do not look like fun places to visit i I have no interest in seeing a fucking pencil museum no they definitely go from mundane to mundane to mundane and i think that's very english as well yes but i do find it really interesting that they actually went on a caravan trip that's some that's some like a cool way to like research and write your script yeah, and I think because it had been simmering in their minds for so long, the story, they were so kind of, I don't know, maybe they were just super into it or super excited about it, but they seemed like they really fleshed out their characters, and you could definitely tell that in the movie. Um, yeah, and it's cool how they kind of like drop a little hints, some hints about the characters' like backstory and personality here and here. It's, it's a well-made script, and mm-hmm. something that was kind of cool about the script was that the the director Wheatley allowed the actors to impro- improvise, and hmm. the finished movie that you see is actually a product of just a combination of like scripted sequences and improvised moments. Cool. <laughs> I wonder how many outtakes they have. Probably lots. Oh my god, I, I I can only imagine they just have yeah. There could probably be like another entirely different cut of the movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess we could start with the plot. So the movie starts off with Chris showing up at Tina's house to pick her up for their caravan trip. 
So you can definitely tell immediately that it's the first time they've gone anywhere together. It's also the first time Tina's really ever left her house. Her mom is clearly very dependent and very abusive to her. And you get the sense that she just sort of emotionally manipulates Tina into, you know, being her baby forever and kind of clips her wings kind of thing. Yeah, mom is uh. not a good lady. No. And she's <laughs> also very upset at Tina for apparently murdering her dog. Yeah, she says something along the lines of, uh, you know, you what does she say here? I think I actually kept that quote because it's very uh, striking. So she calls her a murderer. When she goes yes. to leave the house and she, Tina says it was an accident. And Carol says, so are you. So yeah, it's <laughs> fucking brutal. Like the first five or 10 minutes of the movie is just like Tina getting shit on by her mom. It's, it's awful. Yeah. And she says something like, you know, Poppy was the name of the dog. And she's like, Poppy was my only friend. And Tina says, I'm your friend. And she's like, you're not a friend. She's you're like, a relative. <laughs> yeah. You're a relative. That doesn't count. Like, holy yeah, so you, you immediately are on Tina's and Chris's side right away. You really kind of buy into the idea that Chris is this white knight taking her away and that Tina, you know, kind of deserves to be rescued because her mom is such a nightmare. Um, her mom really drives the nail in the coffin here when they're in the car about to leave and Chris says, oh, you know, like, I'll make sure I bring you back like a snow globe and I'll make sure I'll take care of your daughter and stuff. And she just, her mom just leans into the car window and says, I don't like you. And Chris is just like, okay, then, and drives away. <laughs> You're like, oh, my yeah. God. And, I mean, it, it's funny because this puts you, like you said, you're firmly on Tina and Chris's side at this point. Yeah. Like, so the first stop they make on their caravan trip is the National Tramway Museum. Yeah. Where, riveting. where yes, uh, riveting, where mm -hmm. Chris... Gets angry at a man for littering on one of the trams. And I think he's eating something that is like the worst thing you could eat at a tourist location, like a historical location, but at the same time is for sale at every historical location, which is a drumstick. Like he's yes. eating like an ice, a messy ice cream cone. <laughs> yeah, so in America, it would be a drumstick, but a little interesting bit of trivia, it's... It's called a, a Cornetto ice cream. Oh, and it's the Cornetto. The Cornetto. Yeah, insert. so that was a nod to to Edgar Wright for uh, you know agreeing to produce the film, right? Just a little little really? tip of the hat. Cool. Yeah. Well, it's rude to eat in that location. Is the is what I'm trying to say. I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. But they're for sale everywhere. So even when you go to like a provincial park and they're like, "Don't bring any trash," but here's some ice cream in single packaging. Anyway. Yeah, have some trash. Yeah, here's some garbage. <laughs> um, but basically, yeah, Chris gets really angry at the man for littering. And later on in the day, Chris and Tina are backing out of the Tramway Museum's parking lot. And Chris backs up real quick and slams into this man who gets caught underneath the caravan and bleeds to death. Almost immediately, yeah. What's really yeah, interesting real about this is that you, like I said, you kind of, you feel like Chris is this white knight, and this is when the kind of veil starts, starts to fall, when he's all of a sudden about to let this litterer ruin their entire trip. Because, you know, who, who knows why? Like, it's a very, 
it's a very insane response and it really shows how angry he is typically and he's for whatever reason less phased by killing this guy than he was by this guy throwing a piece of trash on the ground like it's very yeah it's it's really weird and it takes a it's a very big tone shift where all of a sudden tina gets the very first inclination that this trip may have not been the greatest idea and it's it's funny but also scary and relatable like that that's kind of a thing that happens when you like first get to know somebody is like you think you kind of get to you think you kind of know who they are and then something happens and you're you see a bad side of them for the first time and you're just like oh well yeah. that's not great yeah and then you're like but i'm already on the trip like i'm gonna give it a chance and especially someone like tina who has so such limited social skills right like she immediately is trying to help him feel better you know, mm. and she's trying to be supportive and empathetic. And I mean, realistically, I think she's just trying to make sure that he likes her. But she does come off quite kind in, in the initial half of the movie. <laughs> yeah, T- Tina still seems normal at this point. At this point, you're, you're probably on Team Tina and you're like, Chris, yeah. you know what? You got to chill. Yeah. But yeah. So chill. So they run over the poor man who dies and Chris gets, smiles. He looks pretty happy about it he looks kind of stoked yeah it's a weird kind of little smirk that he has on his face and uh then yeah. they leave <laughs> and then and then they leave and they can you continue on to their next stop which is an rv park sorry a caravan park <laughs> and this is where they meet janice ian and their dog banjo so they meet these two by nearly driving them off of the road, trying to get to a place called Dingley Dell, which is some sort of neighborhood within the caravan park, which sidebar, why do a huge majority of English names sound half disgusting, half childish? I don't know. Um, Dingley Dell. Chris and Tina are sort of immediately antagonistic towards... Janice and Ian, because they are immediately kind of seem a little bit more put together. They're both a little bit more attractive than the two of them. They both seem a little bit more successful. Ian says he's writing a book. Chris is, you know, immediately jealous of him. And then there's the kind of dog thrown in there just to really, really screw them up a little bit socially. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of thought that Chris and Tina were trying to be friendly at first. and. Janice and Ian were, you know, they snobby. they were immediately snobby and standoffish and just just kind of kind of rude, cold and unfriendly. Yeah, I mean, I guess realistically, Janice and Ian were not the most friendly type. But I would also say that if somebody like Chris and Tina came up to me, I would be like, "You guys seem weird. I don't want you in my house on wheels." You That's know? fair. Yeah. And, and you know what? T- take off your shoes after you've been to the washroom. You know? <laughs> yeah. Public yeah. washroom? Come on. What's yeah, wrong there, with you? You definitely get a. Throughout the movie, you get a sense of how little in social skills the two of them have in a, in a few uh, a few key instances. And it's always pretty cringy. Mm hmm. So early the next morning, while Ian is going out for a walk to take some photos with his dog Banjo. Chris sneaks up on him and bashes his head in with a rock. Yeah, and it seems very, this is his first sort of like premeditated murder because he gets up early on purpose and follows him. And 
it doesn't even really make sense as to why, short of the guy was kind of rude to Chris. I think he's jealous of him because he's he's an author. Like, Chris was sort of upset with the dude for being um, rude, but he got really upset when he found out that the guy was working on his third novel. That's when he stormed off. But I agree, it's like a very thin... There's not a lot of motivation for no. for that murder. I, I'd say I, out of all the murders in the movie, that one probably makes the least sense. Yeah, and especially because he kills him and then takes his camera and it, it just keeps it. It's weird. <laughs> it's it's a it's peculiar for sure. Yeah, and, and- what ends up happening is Banjo runs up to them. Banjo runs off when Ian gets murdered and then finds Chris and Tina as they're about to run away. Or, sorry, about to drive away. Yeah, so at this point, Tina doesn't know that Chris killed Ian. And neither does Ian's wife, Janice. And Tina is kind of distracted by this weird group of dancing, blood-covered people in a field adjacent to their campground. They're, They're shamans. Who don't really seem to have much of an impact uh, on the plot, aside from, I suppose, you know, aesthetic. Um, They kill a chicken. Yeah, they kill a chicken and they get kicked out, but I I don't know if it's really important to the plot. Um, There's some pretty cool scenes, dance scenes, um, with Tina. I I do believe that they're uh, imagined. I don't think she actually goes over to those people but i think she's picturing herself doing that so she's kind of having this nice you know dream home away from home vacation still and and chris is just out bashing people with rocks classic chris yeah actually yeah (laughs) becomes very classic chris yeah but so tina decides to kidnap banjo because banjo looks just like poppy her mom's dog that she murdered (laughs) accidentally you also get to see at this point a flashback of how Poppy died. And it's a super simple mistake. It's obviously an accident. The dog just accidentally jumps onto these knitting needles that, you know, Tina leaves out on the couch while she's getting the door. And it's it's such yeah. an innocent scenario. And you can see how ridiculous her mom is being when you see it. But you can also see that Tina's a little bit crazy because she just straight up steals this dog. <laughs> yeah, she gets she just straight up steals it, starts talking to it like it's Poppy. And you yeah, you see for the first time that's like okay, well maybe Tina's not she's a little totally, unstable. Yeah, T- Tina's been living in Tina world for a while. Yeah. So So, so they grab the dog and then they leave. Yeah. Um they stop and, at another caravan park. That's yeah. the next the next stop and this is when Tina finds pictures on the camera that Chris stole from Ian. Mm-hmm. And the and first thing that she says, which is one of the greatest quotes of the movie, is, this is not my vagina. <laughs> <laughs> this is not my vagina. She doesn't say it. She screams she it. She does at the scream top it. Of her she lung. screams it. Yeah. She's, so she's scrolling through pictures and she obviously sees some sort of <laughs> lewd photos and immediately freaks out at Chris and starts asking if he slept with Janice, starts asking if he slept with Ian and Janice, starts asking if he's in some sort of weird sex cult. She just kind of spirals here. <laughs> and yeah. Chris tells her, no, no, no. Like, I just, I just killed him. And she's like, oh, okay. 
And that's not so she's, like, she's upset than, about it, know. but she's like not that upset about it, you know? She's just kind of like, oh, what'd you do that She's for? a very... She's very, like, practical person, I suppose, because she sees, she's like, okay, well, that's the problem. Well, let's figure out how to move on. But in reality, you shouldn't be moving on. You should be moving away. And that's not what she does. Yeah. It's like, she she just doesn't want to have her vacation ruined. So she's like, all right. Um, okay, so then their next stop is another park, like you mentioned, and they go on a hike, and they go on a hike with their dog, their new not-their-dog. Um, the dog <laughs> takes a shit in the middle of this park, um, which is a historical site, and a tourist approaches them and starts yelling at Tina, telling her that she needs to pick up after the dog because this is, you know, a historical site. People walk through this field. You can't just leave dog shit everywhere, which a sentiment that 100% I am 100% behind. Um, but Tina immediately kind of breaks down. Like, she's obviously not good with confrontations. She starts crying almost and getting upset and saying, like, I don't have a bag for it. I don't pick up garb, like, dog shit. And it kind of makes me wonder, like, who used to pick up the dog shit at her old house? But whatever. Um, and then Chris comes over and, again, very much white knights himself into the situation and starts accusing the guy of being inappropriate with Tina and telling her to, you know, lie and say that he was sexually assaulting her or something. And then Chris just beats this guy to death in yeah, sort of right defense in front of, of Tina. Tina. And, and Banjo. Yeah. <laughs> Poppy. Poppy and Poppy, not Banjo. Um, yeah. Again, one of, this is probably the most violent murder uh, in the movie, but he, it seems to be getting, uh, seems to like it more and more. He's getting really on board with the murder train. Yeah, he's got a real, like, chimpanzee from 2001 A Space Odyssey kind of vibe to him at yeah, this point. Yeah, just ripping people's faces off. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's pretty gruesome. And I, they, I believe they pull down the man's pants to make it seem oh, like right. it just... was a sexual crime to try and throw off the scent of the police, I suppose. Yeah, you really get a sense that um, Chris obviously has this sort of holier-than-thou and kind of high-and-mighty air to him where he feels like everything that he's doing is perfectly justified and that he's very intelligent. And yes, he's making these calls as if it's, you know, they're not going to figure out who did it based on this very simple thing. Mm-hmm. And he also justifies the murder by saying, Oh, he's not a person. He's he's a Daily Mail reader, which yeah. is like the UK equivalent of Fox News. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It's a very holier than thou. And you, you really uh, don't necessarily buy it because Chris and Tina both also seem kind of weird and boring. So, but that's their that's their approach. Mm hmm. And at this point. He kind of stopped rooting for Chris by now. Yeah. And, you know, Tina, you're... I mean, Tina still seems like an okay gal. She seems kind of crazy, but... Yeah, she just seems very repressed. And you still kind of pity her because you feel like she's been emotionally stunted her whole life and that she's been held back from being a whole person by her mother. And you feel like she's just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time now. And faced with this situation that she doesn't know how... She doesn't have the skills to deal with. Yeah. Sheltered to the point where she doesn't realize that this is fucked. 
Exactly. And it, and it is very much, I read a commentary, which I thought was very appropriate. And they say, you know, it's, it's supposed to mirror a little bit how your parents influence, influences what you're, what you're willing to put up with in a relationship, right? Like her mom's relationship is with Tina is very abusive and, and manipulative and uh, very dependent. And so Tina, I think maybe just naturally assumes that that's what the relationship is supposed to be like. So she doesn't see these red flags as red flags. Well, that's a bummer. <laughs> Anyways, yes, you're still totally on <laughs> team Tina pity at this point. You feel bad for her. Yes. Now we move on to our next caravan park. This is where Chris meets his buddy Martin or his soon to be buddy Martin an he engineering. Yeah, Sorry? He, he meets a random guy and immediately, like, falls in love with him. So, Martin is an engineer testing a bicycle-led mini-caravan. Yeah. He's, which he's, I believe he calls a carapod. Yeah, I mean, it's basically a coffin on wheels. Like, that's what it is. But, anyhow. <laughs> so, later that night, Chris and Tina go to a restaurant and a bachelorette party sits nearby. And at this point, it kind of seems like, you know, Chris and Tina, they, they've been having a rough go, but it seems like, well, they might actually have a nice night out together. They might have a nice dinner, but things kind of go awry. Yeah, so it seems like they're having a very loving conversation, and they're kind of maybe trying to put the past behind them, which, again, the past is a series of murders that they shouldn't be putting behind them, but that's what they're doing. And Tina decides to get up to go to the washroom, and when she comes back, Chris is making out with one of the bride, is making out with the bride-to-be of the bridesmaid's party. And Tina immediately loses it, and I think she loses it largely because... She's been she's been kind of dealing with all this bullshit and dealing with all these problems, assuming that, you know, she's Chris's muse and she's the only one for him. And it's this very romantic kind of loving uh, situation. And it becomes very obvious when she walks out and sees him kissing another chick that he is just a douche, I guess. Um, she overreacts a little bit, though, one would say. And uh, beyond screaming at him, then sneaks up on the bride who is smoking outside and shoves her off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, one could call that an overreaction. Yeah, it's a sort of an a sort of overreaction. Um what really strikes you with this particular murder is that it immediately seems like the most risky and it kind of seems like the least thought out, although Chris isn't really a criminal mastermind or anything, but the when I first saw that scene I was like they're going to get caught for that. For sure. Uh, she doesn't really yeah. handle it eloquently. No, and that's what we'll find out about... About... We'll, we'll call it Tina's style. She's a bit more reckless than Chris is. A bit more impulsive, perhaps. Yeah. But, yeah, so after Tina murders this woman, they drive away, and the next day, Chris is helping Martin out with... I think it's like little modifications to his carapod invention tina ain't too happy about this because well fuck she wants to go to the pencil factory and again it really just seems like tina is expecting chris to be hers and hers alone and that is the trade-off for her dealing with his bullshit and he is immediately kind of leaving her by the wayside with someone else 
which isn't really what's happening. He's having a normal relationship with someone he met, but he's also not a normal person and they're not in a normal situation. So Tina takes it poorly. She goes to the pencil museum by herself, very uh, mopingly. Uh, she then, uh, I believe this is when she calls her mom and tries to talk to her and get some support from her. And what's important to mention at this point is that her mom has been trying to guilt Tina into coming home throughout the movie. So she's calling Tina's cell phone and you see that she's actually like pushing her like fall alert button that makes it seem like she's you know in danger or has like injured herself to try to get tina to come home uh yeah you can tell that she's faking it and then when tina finally does reach out to her for some support her mom immediately is just like well you know i'm very busy and you know she's lying in bed doing nothing uh so you can really see the emotional manipulation just kind of carries on throughout and as soon as tina needs her mom and probably would come back to her her mom's like well no yeah, it's uh, it's pretty, it's pretty awful. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, like at this point in the movie, it, we're kind of making it sound like this is like a real downer. But there's a lot of moments of comedy that balance all this stuff out. But they're so, like, we're, we're not really talking about them because they're so quick and it's just dry, everyday kind of humor and quips. It's kind of hard to talk about them. Yeah, that's true. There, There is actually a lot of, it, it, despite the sort of dark subject matter, it is a very light-hearted movie. I think it's pretty cheerful in the way that it approaches these things. Um, most of the humor comes from the sort of awkwardness of Chris and Tina dealing with other people. And I, it definitely doesn't play out as a as a drama in any way. No, no, definitely not. And it, it's kind of... It's it's impressive how they're able to get away with such a dark premise and have it be still light. But I could see I could see why people maybe didn't want to make make this movie, why producers didn't want to touch it. Because if you just hear the premise or read the words on a script, you're just like, man, this is fuck. Yeah, but it's true. W- once you start throwing the jokes in, like w- one of my favorite jokes that's happened at this point was they're at uh like an outdoors an outdoors shop. And mm-hmm. the woman's like, did you hear about that guy who fell off the cliff and and, you know, his head got bashed in that who have, is, of course, Ian, who Chris mm-hmm. murdered. But mm-hmm. people think that Ian just fell off a cliff. And the woman says, and they haven't found his dog. And Chris is like, oh, well, he probably committed suicide. They do that, you know. Yeah, the dog committed it's suicide. Just like, it's just like, what? And like, those are the kind of jokes that ha- that happened in this movie. They're just yeah. like slipped in these really ridiculous lines real quick. That's true. Yeah. And there's uh and then there's there was one that I pulled up that I thought was very funny. Um and it's when they're first talking to Ian and Janice and Chris is asking Ian about his, Ian about the caravan and he says, How do you find it on like gas consumption? And Ian's like, Oh, it's not too bad. Uh, you know, it's better than some of the older models. And Chris says, Yeah, you're probably right. We use loads of gas, don't we, Tina? And Tina's like, Yeah, we love it. And you're like, not, <laughs> not an appropriate response to what I just said to you. Like, where, <laughs> love it. it's like not following the conversation, are you? No. And like, you uh, just, it, it, yeah, they're, they're awkward, weird, uh, weirdos. Great. And it's, it's very funny. So after the whole pencil factory debacle, Chris and Tina aren't doing so well. The next day, 
they're driving down the highway with and with Tina at the wheel, she just mows down a jogger for yeah. like no reason. So Tina is becoming unstable. So she's upset with Chris for calling her out on having a very uh kind of haphazard slap together murder of the bride. Um and Chris, you know, tells her like you're not you're not good at this. You're not good at this, you know, murdering business. I'm good at it and and you're not. So she you know, gets offended and she takes off while Chris is asleep. And as soon as he wakes up, she decides that she's going to uh, murder a jogger. And uh, Chris is not too stoked, um, but they carry on anyways, for some reason. Yeah, I think it's important to mention that throughout the movie, we're slowly getting Chris's backstory. We find out that he was bullied a lot in school for being ginger, that he... uh, it sounds like he left work because of bullying, because people were, quote, belittling his five-year plan, yeah. moving, hiding his stuff at his desk, yeah, and, and other petty stuff. Yeah, and it also, like, he tells Tina that he's on some sort of sabbatical, but he was actually um, made redundant, which essentially means he was laid off. Yeah. Uh, so he didn't leave his job by choice, like he's trying to portray. Mm-hmm. So Chris, and Chris says something, he's like, I want to be respected and feared, something like that. Like, yeah, this something is a guy super who, weird. Like, he, he has an inferiority been complex. Bullied, inferiority complex, yeah, from being, like, bullied all of his life and wanting to be the top dog. So it, it's almost like he finally does something that he's with in the murders. He, yeah, he's in control and he's, like, good at, or at least in his mind he's good at. Yes, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so things are, are not going so well between Chris and Tina, and they continue on to their last stop, which is the Ribblehead Viaduct, which is a a bridge. It, it's a bridge. Um, it looks I think nice. It, I think it's right? uh, I think it's actually a method of transporting water, isn't it? That's an aqueduct. Hmm. Huh. What is it called? Viaduct. Oh, I feel like that's probably the same thing. Anyways, uh, it's a it's a. <laughs> It's a weird arched bridge. Um, it's quite tall. Uh, just before they get there, Tina also just happens to slip in the murder of Martin. Um, yes, so they park on like near a cliff, and Martin arrives shortly after they arrive in his carapod. And yeah, she she just kind of. They have an incident where Tina tries to get Chris to kill him, and you know Chris sort of refuses. And then Tina decides she'll just take it into her own hands and runs outside and kicks it off the cliff. And it's at this moment that she realizes, you know, this little coffin on wheels really needs uh, a little bit of a more more stable uh, setting because uh, Martin really doesn't have much of a chance. Yeah, no, I mean you gotta do some troubleshooting when you come out with a, a new Carapod. product. So yeah, um, good, I- so, good idea, Tina. Yeah. Tina, you know, she's resourceful. Mm. Uh, So they get to the end of their journey, and interestingly enough, Chris sets the caravan on fire. Um, Now, they foreshadow the ending a little bit when they show Chris and Tina standing on top of this bridge in Chris's journal. He's drawn a very crude picture of this. Yeah, so Chris apparently draws like a five-year-old. Yeah, like it's really bad. (laughs) and yeah so it it kind of suggests that chris just wants them to to yeah jump off the top of the bridge and 
and just call it quits. And that's kind of what they, it seems like they're going to do. So they get up to the bridge. They, they look down at the ground. They hold hands and Chris asks Tina if she's had a good holiday. And she says, yes, it was brilliant. And it's, it may be important to mention that as they're nearing the, this final destination, they start hearing on the radio that the news are now looking for a ginger man and an angry woman. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so they're obviously, someone's on their trail, someone, and, and a dog. They know they have a dog. So they've definitely picked up the trail. It's starting to seem a little bit bleak. And all of a sudden, uh, Chris brings up this plan, which it kind of seems like it's been in the works for a little while, but that they're going to do this sort of very romantic double suicide. And as they're standing on top of the bridge, looking down, um, and it's probably about 40, 50 feet, this bridge, maybe more, um, Chris, they look at each other and they look very happy. And then Chris steps off the bridge and Tina lets go of his hand and doesn't jump with him. And that's the end of the movie. Yep. Like, it's literally the end of the movie. It goes straight to the credits. Yeah. and jarringly fast. And the scene is having, has this really beautiful, very uplifting music. Um, The music throughout the entire movie is, is very apt. And it has this really kind of beautiful scenery and music. And it seems very romantic and loving. And then, you know, Tina just at the very last second just backs out. Yeah, she's like, nope, not about that. And it's it's interesting because you really get the sense that they're kind of in it together, but she takes a stand here and decides not to kill herself. Which, I don't know, I guess good job, Tina. Yeah, it's, uh, Tina, Tina has a good story arc, especially because, I don't know, she's probably, she's probably going to get away with all this, right? She I, could just exactly. blame it all on Chris. Well, and the other thing is that they're looking for a couple. She's going to be by herself now. But she is very clearly an angry woman, though. So yeah, that's true. She is. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's sightseers, and like, so okay, I like this movie, but I'm not gonna lie. When I was rewatching it for this podcast, which I guess was like months ago now at this point, mm-hmm. I got through the first 15 minutes before I realized I had already watched it. Yeah. Yeah, and that kind of maybe leans in with the reception. So it was the movie was well received by critics, um, but I think it was well received understanding its genre. So it's a dark, it's a black British comedy. So it's funny and it has a lot of mixed in British stereotypes and situations. Um, it's very like sardonic. It's very there's lots of mockery in the movie, um, but that that is kind of its all it really has going for it. And the main criticisms I was able to find for this movie was that it just wasn't funny enough. Like people didn't like it enough and they found that it was just, you know, too repetitive. The whole movie just kind of repeats itself. Yep. Yep, that's true. You go from one site to another, somebody gets murdered, there's a little bit of comedy injected to try and lighten things up a little bit, and then you rinse and repeat, and the characters, you know, the characters do start to change like Tina and Chris do both have an arc which is nice you know Chris starts off well at first you see him as being very like meek and respectful and and noble and then he's yeah full on like super dick 
crazy person dick by the end of it. And yeah. Tina kind of, in a way, comes into her own and takes control of her life. Yeah. Um, through killing others and then not herself. Um, but, but I mean, yeah, like I, I really like this movie and it's why I want, I wanted to watch it again. And I do think it has rewatchability, um, especially if you don't know anything about it going in. I think that the, the way that it shifts the tone is very interesting, um, and kind of engaging and it, it is, uh, it's fun. It's a cheap and cheerful movie. If you've watched it once without subtitles, do yourself a favor and give it a go again with subtitles. Yes. Subtitles are mandatory. Yeah, unless you're from the UK, in which case, you know, good for you. But uh, like, if you're shit. from the right play- part of the UK, I guess. Yeah, I I don't know what kind of accents they have. I I I, I do not know. Mm. Um. But, so beyond that, it made a it made a bit of money. It wasn't super crazy box office success, but it did uh, it did turn a profit and it won a couple of uh, awards for you know best screenplay and and things like that at some of the smaller. Uh, United UK festivals. Um, it was obviously shot all on location in the UK. That's something the director is very passionate about. Um, Did but, it make yeah. money? So what I was able to find was that uh, it cost about one point three million pounds, which I can't even imagine how that's possible because it does not seem like a high budget movie. Um, but its cumulative worldwide gross was two point one million. Now again. I don't know if that's going from pounds to dollars, as it appears to be, um, because that would that would make it just about breaking even. Hmm. Okay. But yeah, I read somewhere else that it had a you know a, a gross total profit of under a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, pretty slim margins, but yeah, you know what? Pretty good for like a little little independent movie, right? It is Not the bad. director's second movie. So it's not, uh, it's not a, or third movie, actually. He's made two others. So it's not a, it's a pretty good uh, turnout for considering that. Like, I think it's a good, it's a well-made movie, okay? Like, it's, it's edited very nicely. Like, some of the more grotesque scenes are edited very quickly so as not to overwhelm you. It's nice and short. It doesn't feel like it drags so you know, it's it's a well-made little movie, and it's too bad it didn't make a little more cash, I guess. And it, it's also very unique, I find. Like, I, I found it to be a really like unique story that it's not one that I could really explain. And I think you kind of, you're correct in that you can't really put the humor into words, and the humor is a big part of it. And there's such a finesse in towing the line between grotesque and funny, and I think the director does a really good job. Yeah, agreed. I think a lot of that has to owe with allowing them to improvise. I'm sure that's where most of the comedy came from. Just True. kind of, just kind of loosey goosey, kind of see what happens, kind of uh, acting style. Especially considering that the actors themselves were co-writers, so they definitely knew the tone of of what they were trying to convey. So, yeah. So our sightseers drink. Today we have something called a caravan, which we pulled off of the internet. So, okay, the original recipe for the caravan was three ounces of a Shiraz red wine, half an ounce of Grand Marnier, and to you just top it up 
with Coke and serve it like a highball over ice. Which, I mean, I'm first things first, you're mixing wine with soda. So, yeah. like, that's trashy. This is a trashy English drink, in my opinion. Yeah, so it's a little fancier than, you know, doing a beer cocktail, but, like, eh. <laughs> as a... As, uh, as uh, Stan put it, it sounds like it's a good way to ruin a bottle of red wine. Yeah, that's um, what it sounds like. And you know what? When I tried that original recipe, it was not good. I did <laughs> not like it. I'm going to come out. I'm controversial opinion. Did not like it. So not I good. modified it a little bit. So I used two ounces of red. I used mm. one ounce of triple sec instead of Grand Marnier. So they're both orange flavored liqueurs yeah but triple sec has a much more that it's more orangey tasting okay i topped it up with coke and i added actually just a little bit of lime juice to just give it more of a citrusy flavor and i you know it's all right when you do it that way it's honestly it kind of just tastes like not like a rum and coke, but like uh, the, rum and the, co- coke the co- with orange in it. Yeah, the coke is kind of overpowering, but it's fine. Yeah, well, it's I fine. took it a step further and did not put coke in mine at all, and uh, I literally have a red wine Shiraz from a can and uh, orange juice <laughs> in mine. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, and I don't really like red wine, and I don't really like this. That is fair. Yeah. Well, you took a you took a trashy idea and you took a sort of trashy idea and then went straight I, trash with it. Yeah, like I like it almost as pretty much if I if this move if this movie was a cocktail, this this would be the cocktail. I like it, but you know, you know, eh. yeah, yeah. It's so, unique so and it's interesting, but I uh, have probably uh, I've probably had enough of it. <laughs> You're just gonna put it away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. I don't know. I'm not too sure about wine cocktails. Like, I, like sangria, I mean, sangria is good. Sangria is amazing. Yeah, sangria is amazing. We we all know sangria is amazing. I mean, and on. pretty much every but, wine cocktail I've ever had is amazing, except for the ones that mix it with Coca Cola. Let's get into our our discussion focused section. Okay, yeah. so here's a question that I had: Is what do you think Chris's job was before he was made redundant? Before he was laid off? Oh shit, that's a good question. Government employee. That's that's the first yeah. thing that comes to mind. That's that's what I figured as well because where else are you, you know, getting into I feel like government work is where you have these very very petty squabbles and drama. Um because I feel like you just don't have enough work to do, so you just fill in the gaps. Yeah, like moving around and hiding somebody's shit. Yeah. And uh I mean, I don't know if I'm fully on board with the fact that Chris was being bullied. I, I mean, he probably was because he's a douche. But at the same time, I mean, I think he has a pretty warped sense of reality. Yeah, you know what? That's a good point. Maybe he's just kind of maybe he was like one of those just like kind of a sensitive kind of guy. Right. So when you have, you know, when you're with the boys and the boys are just ripping on each other a little bit for good fun, you know, maybe he took that the wrong way and i also feel like he's the type of person to take a stapler from the copy room and put it on his desk as if it's his stapler and have someone put it back in the copy room and for him to think that that was a personal affront 
you know? Oh, like, you he know seems what? like yeah. that kind of guy. <laughs> that's, that's a very good, like, extension of his character. I, I could see that. But anyhow, um, that was something that, that struck me. And then the only other thing I was that kind of struck me when I was watching it was, when do you think he actually made this drawing of them jumping off that bridge? I was thinking like, about he that. Had to, I... He had to draw that at some point. Yeah, and you know, he'd been kind of doodling in his book a little bit, I think, throughout the movie. Uh, I th- I seem to remember seeing him write. There- there's definitely one time he writes in his book that you see on camera. It was yeah. right after he bashed the guy's head in at the stones. He gets a little bit of inspiration and writes for like literally five seconds. And, and then says, he's oh, like, oh, that's too much of that. Oh, that was tough. Yeah, yeah. He really yeah. seems like a little bit of a the worst. Um, but I'm oh, guessing I think that, that's what they call them over there. Yeah, the worst. Yeah. I feel like it would fit in the plot that he started planning their suicide after Tina killed the bride to be. But I think, in my heart of hearts, that he always planned to kill them. I just don't From know the that beginning. He, yeah, because it's like he's he makes this whole big deal about how he's you know taking this trip back down memory lane of all these places that he's been, but then, like, why would he end it at this, like, weird bridge? You know? It seems very mm. suicide to me. Do you think he meant to end it with Tina, or was he gonna do it on his own, with or without her, do you think? I don't know, to be honest. I think that it's an interesting little tidbit that they show a drawn picture, because I feel like they could have just as easily had that conversation off-camera, but the fact that there's a picture of it means that Chris has already thought about it. Mm-hmm. Like, he's already decided and, you know, eventually pitches this idea to Tina. So I can see it, though, that after Tina kills the bride and Chris is like, well, probably going to get caught for that, so... Yeah. And then starts, you know, thinking about ways out of the situation and comes, comes to that end. Yeah. And the other thing is, I, I really like to imagine how that conversation went, because they're... They're both just, you know, very unpredictable. I feel like he's probably just like, well, we should probably off ourselves. And she's probably just like, okay. All right. <laughs> All right, Chris. So my, my, my question was, did, do you think Chris meant to kill the first guy? Because it's kind of unclear in the movie. I, mm-hmm. I would say it, it kind of seems like it's an accident, but there is one little thing that points to maybe he did it on purpose is... You do see there is a shot of the uh, rear view mirror. Uh, yeah, the, or the side mirror. Right. And you, you can't tell if Chris is looking at the side mirror or not. And it's like, well, was it an accident? I don't know. Was he killing people beforehand? Yeah. I feel like I would love to think that he was, but I don't think so. I think that he did it by accident and then realized how satisfied he was that he had done it. Got a taste. Yeah. Taste for yeah. the blood. Um, th- that's pretty much all that I had seen for the, the theories of the movie, but I did come across an interesting fact about this movie. Uh-huh. Um, I okay. found an interview that is done with Alice Lowe, who plays Tina, and uh, it kind of goes through how they dreamt up the characters years before and, you know, the whole story, but... She has this little anecdote about her family holidays that I feel like really informs how they made the movie. And it, it goes like this. So she says, 
My family couldn't afford to fly, so we would get on a ferry, and my dad would drive us around Europe, and we'd all have these weird experiences. The weirdness of traveling, of carrying your house on your back, turning up somewhere you're not supposed to, where you're supposed to develop new rules in this artificial community. Uh, you know, like, she's like, I remember camping in someone's orchard with some creepy farmer coming on to my mom. Uh, and then she's like, I remember this Dutch family who were all blonde and beautiful with their bicycles. And their dad was still barbecuing in the rain in this really capable, athletic way. And my dad was just scowling at him. And she says, like, there's something really hilarious about all these little prejudices and jealousies that you develop um, on those types of trips. And I thought it was so interesting because I feel like everybody has that experience where you go somewhere different and all of a sudden you're in this little microculture, you know, uh, where everybody's like reestablishing who they are in, in this weird scenario. Like that's that's really fascinating. And I, I feel like something like that is especially amplified in Europe, right, where it's so dense and you're going to all these these different countries and these different places. Yeah. Like the few times I've been to Europe, I've been floored by just how different little things like bathrooms are and shit, you know, and just and even from like country to country, on? like it's very like I feel like. For anyone who's listening who has never been to Canada, you go from one side to the other, and it's different, but it's not that different. <laughs> like, you know, you, I feel like you go from England to Sweden to Amsterdam to Germany to wherever, and it's going to be like, there's going to be things that just completely floor you. But yeah, Canada is just a bunch, bunch of the same old shit everywhere. I feel like that's, there is quite a lot of variety, but it's a very slow transition. it's a big place things are spread out you gotta go like 20 hours at a time to see cultural transitions yeah yeah um but that's pretty much it i I just i found that was a neat kind of insight into the movie and i i think that it makes a little bit more sense kind of the the air they were trying to portray if i consider even the you know the the handful of times that i've taken a trip like that um to some sort of you know vacant or, or half vacant weird RV campground with people who seem like, you know, all walks of life. Like, where do these people come from? <laughs> I really like that. I like how they drew on those experiences and, and put that into the script. And I th- I'm sure that's what contributed to making it feel just like a fleshed out movie and making mm-hmm. the characters feel like, like real people. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's time to get to our ratings for this movie. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll start off with uh, the blood and the blood for violence. And we've decided to give this one a three out of five. Mm-hmm. A soft three. A soft three. Yeah. So th- there's very few instances of violence, but they are graphic, but you don't really see them for that long. So kind of puts it middle of the road, maybe veering a bit more towards the two. Veering towards a two, but still a three. Yeah, it's, uh, and I would say, like, it's probably amped up the violence a little bit in the sense that they're all murders. You know? Like, they're not, uh, it's not a fight. Everybody dies. Yeah, everybody dies. Great tagline. Everyone but Tina. Um, so then skulls, uh, for, in this case, it would be for really, like, a a tense, intense movie, so we we gave it a two out of five. Like, there's, Not really much tension or anything. There's some upsetting moments with Tina and her mom, though. That's kind of kind of it. 
Yeah, and it's lighthearted throughout, like we said. Like, it does manage to get away from the dark, sort of depressing side of things, so it's, it's not too intense. If you don't like horrors, you could still watch this. Yeah. And stars for overall quality, we're going to give it a 3 out of 5. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, good. Yeah, it's uh, cheap and cheerful without being too cheerful. And uh, it's unique, but it is not altogether that interesting. So. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, I've seen it twice now, and I, I think that'll do. I can think of maybe, like, a few people I'd recommend it to. Like, I, yeah. I definitely have some friends who are into that. Who are into black comedies and who dry humor? Who like yeah the dry British humor? So there, there there is an audience for this movie, but it is a a bit of a specific cross section. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's sightseers. So thanks for for listening. And uh, apologies to anyone who tries to listen to this and realizes that we are not recording it with the same quality as usual, since we're in separate rooms due to the apocalypse. Yeah, it's going to sound different, that's for sure. And we we are having a little bit of internet connectivity issues. We're not always hearing each other, but uh, we're we're going to make it happen. Yeah. Try and try and make it work. And it seems like there's you know no ends in sight, so we're going to start doing it this way. Uh, for the foreseeable future, so, yeah. Yeah, that's the way it is. So, uh, thank you all for listening. We can, uh, you can find us online at drunkduckcinemaclub.com, on Instagram at drunkduckcinemaclub, and on Facebook at uh, drunkduckcinemaclub. Yeah. And at our website at drunkduckcinemaclub.com. I said the website. Oh, said- shit, you cut out. I'm sorry. <laughs> See? The, the, these this are the trial and tribulations. About. This is what we have to overcome. <laughs> oh man okay all right well quack, quack i think i'm gonna stick i'm gonna uh, what quack talk to you later quack you later fuck yeah there we go i think i'm gonna <laughs> stick with keep on keep on quacking in the free world oh my god <laughs> oh no i think i think i'm i'm just gonna pick one and stick with it we'll, no, we'll, we'll do a quack you later keep changing it yeah keep changing it